All right, Paranormies, thank you for joining us here on another episode of the Paranormal Guys. Yes, welcome. I'm Zane. <laughs> and I'm Kyle. And we're happy you're here. Uh, so we're going to jump right in, guys. We talked last time a bit about our roadmap and how this all leads from the early 30s and 40s up to 9-11, and I figured we'd start with the 30s. And you know what that means? Hitler! Oh. (laughs) Why did I not realize that was clear back then? I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I seriously gauge time by all the um, autobiographies that I read. I'm like, oh, so that person was alive. Okay, great. No, that makes sense, because that's when World War II was happening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and by the way, when I cheer Hitler's name, I, I'm not cheering Hitler, just to be clear no. here, um, because Nazis suck. And we're going to find that out in, in a lot more detail today. Nazis really suck. Right. But what's interesting, I think the reason you said it like that is because how do Nazis tie in with 9-11? Well, that's a good question, Kyle. Yeah. And I feel like that's that's probably a pretty darn good segue. So today we're going to talk about Nazis, the occult, mustaches, um, medieval knights, the Holy Grail. You guys, Indiana Jones is more accurate than you might realize. So Hitler did indeed have a relative fascination with with antiquity, with things from the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of that was that, much like Elon Musk, I feel like there is a fine line between innovation and creative insanity. And I I feel like Elon Musk is still very close to that edge. But once again, mad reps, love Elon. Please, please respond to my LinkedIn response. (laughs) Because you listen to this podcast and we both know it. He's like, that's it. While you're Zane in between accepted. landing rocket ships and building space cars, you're listening <laughs> to my podcast. But Absolutely. Um, for real, though, Hitler did have kind of an odd obsession with it, but everybody lumps it on Hitler. And I hate to burst everyone's bubble, but as eccentric and loony and kooky as the failed artist was, it wasn't actually Hitler that had the funky obsession. It wasn't Hitler that was chasing the Holy Grail around. It really wasn't. It was his second in command. And that's a man named Heinrich Himmler. Now, everybody's heard the name. Yeah. When I say it, the history class probably vaguely pops up somewhere and you're thinking Himmler. Wasn't he somebody in the French Revolution? You know, it's... He survived the war, didn't he? Sort of. Um, okay. And I'll explain. But okay. essentially, Heinrich Himmler is far more important in the study of Indiana Jones cult fiction and the Nazis and a cult mm-hmm. than... Hitler ever was. Hitler was fairly hands-off um, as far as this went, but we've all lumped it up with him because he's the kooky dude that yelled a lot. No right, one remembers he's also Heinrich like Himmler. the head of it all. And that's the interesting part. Himmler, far more than Hitler, was the architect of everything evil about World War II. Uh, Himmler, and Hitler, this is going to get really confusing. <laughs> so it's really easy to remember. <clears throat> Hitler, tiny mustache. Himmler, Bigger mustache. Ooh, I, remember, I mean, I know the difference between them. I'm just saying their names. I'm like, oh, did he say that name Himmler, wrong? Hitler, Himmler, Hitler. Himmler, Hitler. There's Himmler, an easy Hitler. mnemonic device. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay. So essentially, there's going to be some history in this, listener. So if you like history, enjoy. If you don't, you. In, in, <laughs> history is interesting to me. It's just I hated being quizzed on it. I loved learning it, but it's like, I don't want to have to remember this stuff. Hitler, like I feel like history was the only subject where I could actually get into it because it was interesting to me. Yeah. Um, so, But it's also really fascinating and fun for me to see the people who would stand up and who were revolutionaries. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and a lot of that is kind of what plays into this. So I, I will beg of you this, listeners. 
we're going to talk about history. We're going to use some dates and times. Please listen, because a lot of this does relate to our day and age, and it's going to relate to our very existence as it stands today. There's something I've found, several things rather, that are directly related to what you and I live in. So listen through, try to ignore the boring minutia, and if you get bored, picture my voice as David Attenborough's, okay? (laughs) He's a much better narrator. So we're going to start way back in 1925. Now, a lot of history has actually already gone by up to this point. We're going to start in Germany. First off, a young man named Adolf Hitler has tried to go to art school and flunked out. And after that, declared war on everybody because he's mad. But really, here's what happens. 1925 rolls around. Hitler's in prison. Now, Hitler's in prison for leading an armed insurrection inside of Germany. (laughs) Tried to overthrow the government. Went to jail. And wrote a book. Yes, as called you Mein do, Kampf. Called Mein Kampf. <clears throat> now, people have heard of Mein Kampf. It's often satirized and things like that. But not a lot of people know what it actually is. Most people picture it being a fairly railing, anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic book. And it is. But more specifically, it's kind of the impetus of World War II. Because essentially, World War II is two fronts. We have the Pacific and we have the uh, Eastern Front. Mm-hmm. And those are very different things, and, and I don't want to minimize anybody's contributions to the war or the war in general, but really, Mein Kampf starts the war with Germany. Right. Germany at this point had lost the First World War. They'd been decisively defeated, and at the Treaty of Versailles, they actually had a ton of things taken from them. Space that was actually originally German space was removed um, and given to other countries, as you do. So essentially, when they lost the war, they lost a lot of rights. They had their army shrunk. They were only allowed to have a standing army that was very limited. Matter of fact, in our modern day, Japan just barely got back access to having its own standing military. Really? Up to this point, American forces have been stationed in Japan. So... That's a thing. As in, like, an allies? Or just because we were in control? Well, as in, like, we've technically been the military in charge over there for a while. Now, granted, they do have their own special forces. I'm not trying to downgrade anybody who's in the Japanese military. Everybody who serves in the military deserves the respect that they get. Yeah, regardless of which country you're in. But up to this point, there's been limitations on it. So, essentially, that's what was happening to Germany. Now, Germany has a proud heritage. When we talk about really, really ancient history, there are a couple different groups that come to mind, Norse, different groups like that. One of them is the Germanic race. And the Germanic race is fairly large and covers a very large space in yeah, do, it, well, it doesn't cover just Germany. Nope. It covers Bulgaria. There are lots of places that would be considered Germanic. Right. And so because of that, they have a proud heritage. Losing a war is not a prideful thing. Right. Hashtag Vietnam. So essentially, they are not happy as a people because they really are kind of having their neck stepped on by everybody else. Right. And a lot of these guys, regardless of the fact that they were wrong, fought bravely in the First World War, and now they're home, and they're grumpy, and they have a bunch of nasty gas in their lungs because the Geneva Conventions hadn't been fully established prior to the First World War, and we used terrible, terrible things on each other. Not that that's changed. But essentially, they're very upset. And Hitler, as a nationalist, is what he was called, writes this book where he talks about Aryan supremacy, which is something we will discuss in depth. It's the modern-day roots of neo-Nazism. A lot of people don't realize this, Nazi comes from the phrase nationalist. It's a German word for nationalist. So when you hear people talk about nationalism, that's the reference that people get, which is why some people get a little up in arms about the concept of nationalism. It usually means you're an isolationist. You don't want to help other countries. You believe that your country is supreme to other countries. And that's not necessarily true of every nationalist. But in this case, Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, dictates that that's the case. He says that the Aryan race is an ancient race, and it's got all of these descendants that were essentially bastardized over time. Okay. Um, 
and mixed with different races, he like breaks it down to three specific types of people. Like there are three types of people on the planet. Essentially, there are like I didn't write them down because they were it was just such that I couldn't <laughs> bring myself to to spew it across the airwaves. Right. But essentially, it breaks down to like the concept that there are bad people, good people, and indifferent people, and the indifferent people and the bad people need to go. That's literally what it says now the jews the gypsies all end up falling into this category over time and that category gets bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on because his whole concept was ethnic cleansing right the original genocide not right. the original I, but i like, can kind of understand that concept from a christian standpoint because i believe there's two different places in the bible where i don't know if it's christ like canaanites saying, and abelites that kind of concept no or? no like it, when it comes to the three different types of people um because i believe christ says if you're not with me you're against me Oh, then, yeah. So he, and then there's he, a second one where it contradicts itself, where it says um, those who are not with I can't remember. Be not lukewarm, that kind of concept. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so Hitler actually kind of comments on that. Now, both Kyle and I at varying levels. Sorry, guys, are Christians. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we can confidently say that the average Christian doesn't believe in genocide. <laughs> anyway, so Hitler is writing this book where he's talking about how he believes that the these three types of people exist and that Aryans are essentially this key race. Mm -hmm. Now, this is where things are a little interesting to me because the way he describes Aryans, he's actually describing the Norse, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, tall folk. Right. I'm from Norway. That's where my family hails from. I know a Norwegian when I see <laughs> one, and they ain't no German. So, no. Um, essentially... He's now, why did he get where did he get that concept that blonde hair, blue eyed was like the perfect race? That's an excellent question. And frankly, I'm not entirely certain. And that's why I say Mein Kampf essentially starts the beginnings of this war. It's the the embers or not the embers, but the coals to the fire. Right. So well, essentially from a science standpoint, having blue eyes doesn't mean. Well, having, well, yeah, but having blue eyes means you're missing certain chromosomes. Exactly. And it's the same with blonde hair. Well, and I mean, anything, any number of different combinations essentially form the genetic makeup of a person. Right. So conceptually, his idea was that there was this superhuman. Mm -hmm. uh, matter of fact, the SS would call themselves the Superman. So essentially, the concept was there is a perfect kind of person. There is a perfect race. And if we could just all be that, we would live in a utopian society. Oh, well, wouldn't that be great? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, absolutely doable. Kill everybody else. That's what we should do. I mean, it totally makes sense it's to me. It's the natural next step. <laughs> but essentially, what he does with Mein Kampf is he creates the beginnings of a problem here. Basically... Most non-German scholars, most, I would say the majority of non-German scholars decried it as a, what was, was ab, abject nonsense, mm -hmm. Mein Kampf, which only stokes the flames of anger more. It's much like when someone debunks a Trump tweet. I, and I'm not hating on Trump intentionally here, but I mean, when you say something that isn't true and you say it with a lot of confidence and somebody else shows you you're wrong, the natural reaction is to be upset. But when you are somebody who is caught in their own bubble you turn into a child. And I think that our president currently, and, and I say this with full intent, our current president has shown that. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to be unfair to Hitler here and relate him to Trump, but the two, <laughs> <laughs> the two are oddly similar when it comes to this, because when scientists start saying, dude, this is not fact. He starts world war two because mm -hmm. in the book, he says that Aryans or an ancient, an ancient race that were all over the planet. He tries to say that Aryans invented writing. Not so. First writing was discovered in Mesopotamia, if not in Asia. Yeah. He says that they invented agriculture. Agriculture and terracing were invented in East Asia. These are just blatantly not true. Right. And at that point, they had the science to prove it. This was not a, I think this, this was a, okay, science has advanced far enough that you're just kooky. Right. And unfortunately, this is really 
the grounds of the war. So I told you listeners that a lot of this would be very similar to modern day. Think about the pettiness that led to what we have as World War II. It's this concept that Hitler needed to be validated in an idea of an ancient Aryan race. That is really what World War II boiled back down to. And we'll, I can show you as we continue on here. So 1925, he writes Mein Kampf. Mm-hmm. And then he... Have, have you read Mein Kampf? Sorry to interrupt. I, I, I can't. I, I tried, and it was just such abject nonsense that I was like, See, I thought I about. I thought about reading it, but... I... It's, it's a little bit like... I can't listen to somebody read that. Now, is it more of a manifesto type? It has a manifesto feel to it, but that's I more just... Because I was always told it was more like a a memoir, and I'm like, that doesn't sound right, because... Well, it's called My Struggle. That's what Mein Kampf means. Right. And, and it is a memoir of sorts, but uh-huh. it is it is a certain ranting manifesto style of, of memoir. Okay. It's, it's very unlike um, Ted Kaczynski's manifesto, which okay. was well thought out, college professional written. Basically... It is a bit of a ranting, kind of raving feel to it. That's why right. I started reading it and was just like, I, I can't. How I far can't into do this. it did you get? I got like four pages in. Okay. And then I was like, this is going to get me on the no fly list. But um, <laughs> so yeah. essentially, the whole purpose of World War II initially was to validate Hitler. And there were a couple objectives he had. He had something called Lebensraum, which mm-hmm. translates to living space or living room. Okay. And that was the idea that when he invaded these other countries, at least initially, he was invading them because they were German space and the Germans needed room for expansion. And ironically, the UN listened to him. Yeah. The UN, the like the UK, America, France, none of them did anything about it, partially because none of their countries were being invaded and partially because they kept saying, hey, don't step over that line. Right. Don't step over that. Oh, don't you. Okay. <laughs> don't do the next one. Oh, okay. All right. So um, he writes Mein Kampf mm-hmm. and he kind of finds himself lost in a drift after he leaves prison because he had his party. He had his groupies he was hanging out with and he joins this nationalist party and kind of takes it over. Yeah. At least that's my understanding of it. I could, I could historically be inaccurate there, but essentially he ends up as part of the Nazi party, what becomes the Nazi party. Right. And it is a party. It's much like the Republican or democratic party. I'm not calling anybody Nazis. It's just a, it's a political party. Yeah. So essentially he has this party, which becomes the Nazis and he eventually ends up being given power. Not taking power, but being now, did given he, it. He sought out the Nazi party, though. Mm-hmm. He, it was, a, it was an ultra-nationalist right-wing party that he made more ultra-nationalist. Yes, but there's a reason that he's picked the Nazi party, though, because he felt like they could be... They'd be a good vessel. So, essentially, through a series of events, he ends up affiliated with the Nazi party. This is worth noting. He was actually given power. Mm-hmm. Hitler didn't, like, seize power. He wasn't elected. He was made Reichschancellor. So, head of the Reich by the current chancellor of Germany and ended up basically usurping his power. So is the, how would you describe the Nazi party today? Is it more? The Nazi party doesn't exist today. If it were alive today. Well, there's this guy named Mitch McConnell. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like politically, like would politically, it be more the conservative? Would it be more? This that's, that's a little bit of a, Ooh, them's, them's dicey waters. But essentially, <laughs> the, the best way I can describe this, and I really, I mean no offense here, listeners. I, I grew up in a very conservative home. I have absolute respect for a lot of conservative folk, but it is very much a conservative party. Um, it is not the Republican Party. Right. Absolutely not. Not at all. But it is a conservative party with very conservative views. The difference being that anything taken in too much is bad for you. Agreed. And so the concept is that essentially when you take religious fervor and you drive it to the extent that you believe that your country is superior... 
that's a problem. Nationalism right. in and of itself is not necessarily defined as ultra-religious. It's more defined by being an isolationist, mm -hmm. uh, believing your country is superior, and believing that your country should take over other, uh, other countries, which oddly sounds like the U.S. in the early six, or early <laughs> 1800s, but you know. Uh, or today, I mean, big brother, I mean, everyone's always looking to the U.S. to get involved in things, and we do. Well, we're the world police, man. Yeah, but um, and by the way, 100% appreciate that. <laughs> Not complaining. I get if I get arrested in Mexico, I'm really glad a SWAT team's coming to get me. Seriously. But um, so essentially, 1925 through like 1929, um, you have kind of this buildup in the party where people are starting to rally around Hitler's ideas. But there's one person who is very very involved, and that person's name is Heinrich Himmler. Mm -hmm. He reads Mein Kampf, and he just eats that it up like he and I, I say that because it was um, right but he just eats it up loves it and he loves Hitler he loves what he stands for and Hitler ends up making Heinrich Himmler his number two um and Heinrich Himmler is a goofy dude my friend he he's a weird we're a little basket but he um to give you a little backstory on him, he was raised the son of a principal of a, of a prestigious college who actually tutored several princes in the area. Okay. And so his godfather was like one of the princes of some large scale place in Germany. So he had he's accustomed to like a fairly high living standard, um, which I think probably attracted Hitler to him a bit more. He came with a pedigree. Gotcha. Um, and he just loves this concept of Aryan supremacy, of there being a super race. And so he buys into this. The difference was Himmler had an odd fascination with astrology and the occult. Okay. And that's what brings us to paranormal guys today, is the paranormal nonsense that Heinrich Himmler believed in. Now, I'm going to break some hearts here. There's no goat heads. There's no... <laughs> there's, he's not drawing pentagrams. They aren't having seances necessarily. Right. But there is a lot of weird kind of early on creepy stuff. Stuff before there was Ouija boards and it was more right. mainstream. like Kind of like the, the Mumford and Sons, if you will, of occultism like okay. kind of the grassroots see because i feel like the um the big occult revolution that happened really in the 70s and the 80s that was more goat heads yeah yeah, yeah. like the charles manson era that. stuff yeah. this is this is the 30s and 40s this is when the occult was still something to be feared it was something preached against in churches it was something where if you were a wiccan you were going to be burned at the stake but you would be publicly shunned like absolutely if you walked into the grocery store they would kick you back out that kind of thing right and so that's what makes this so unique and interesting is you've got to remember the Nazi party by definition is a Christian conservative cult essentially. Right. Yeah. It's, it's got a hierarchy. Right. And so I've, and listeners, lest you think I'm just spewing nonsense. I did my very, very best to corroborate all my sources. And if I have somebody who's listening to us, who knows more than me, please, please, please let me know because I am fascinated by this. So, yeah. We're up to 1933. Hitler comes to power and works very hard to create a one-party system, which doesn't work any better than a two-party system. Right. Because essentially that becomes a dictatorship, which is what he was. Now, I need to mention this very briefly. Over in neighboring Italy, which is also where I hail from, hell yeah. Um, <clears throat> oh, I'm, my history goes straight to England. There's like nothing. <laughs> there's nothing outside I, of I'm that. an Italian-Norwegian. I'm hanging out with an Englishman. <laughs> but um, so... In Italy, there's this this little man named Benito Mussolini who was a fascist, mm -hmm. like a declared fascist, who be, who came to power, and Hitler and him were homies. I just need to bring that up for later knowledge. Okay. He was well-liked. He actually, people really enjoyed him as a person, but fascism in and of itself is awful. It's the concept of essentially dictatorship plus more bad stuff. So right. look up fascism and its definition. I don't want to get into it, but essentially remember Benito Mussolini. So 1933, one-party system, 
the Nazi party essentially controls Germany. Somewhere in there, and this is just a fun fact, but it explains very well what was happening. They abolished the Boy Scouts, which I didn't realize was an international society until I really thought about either. it. Think about it. Boy Scouts of America. Oh, okay. So, um... I didn't realize the Boy Scouts were international. Didn't know that was a thing. But Germany bans th- the Boy Scouts. Like, bans I mean, them. I figured they would have some type of their own Boy Scouts. But I, I, I just figured it was like an I American it'd be like thing. Like a Swanson, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like a Swanson. <laughs> Is it a Swanson pup? Is that what they're called? <laughs> I can't remember. No. The Swanson Pyramid of Greatness. <laughs> but um, so they banned the Boy Scouts, and the reason I bring that up is that shows you kind of the mindset. They yeah. ban the Boy Scouts, and they bring in the Hitler Youth. And okay. the Hitler youth are essentially trained from young men to be warlike. They're trained in the knowledge of Teutonic gods. They're trained in this concept of Nazism as a prime race. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're going to have the answer to this, but it was mainly young men. But were young women allowed to join the yachts or the Nazi youth? Women's roles were very limited. Um, at least in my understanding. Once again, listeners, if you've got more on that, we'd be very interested. Yeah, I would be. But, um, In 1933, when he comes to power and makes a one-party system, somewhere in there, Himmler is essentially put in charge of Hitler's honor guard. Um, I'm going to butcher all the German today. I I actually took a year of German, but a lot of this is going to be really bad. I'm very sorry. (laughs) Um, But essentially, the SS, or the secret police, were formed as kind of an honor guard. Now, Himmler was fascinated with medieval and pre-medieval history. Okay. And so the Praetorian Guard, basically the the honor guards of, I believe it was either the Greeks or the Romans, one of the two, okay. fascinated him. And so the concept of making his own honor guard was amazing to him. So he actually designed their uniforms. He personally handpicked them, which is important. We'll get to that. But he also had each of them forged a ring with a skull on it. Mm. And they had belt buckles that said, I am an SS man on them, things like that, where he essentially made his own little boys club. Okay. But he just swells the ranks by tens of thousands over the course of just a few, I think, months, not even a year. Wow! And he needed a picture of every single one who wanted to be the SS, and they needed to be as pure Aryan as he could of make course. them. And he would, like, inspect them with a magnifying glass to make sure there was no Jewish heritage in them or any other kind of heritage for that matter. But what's crazy to me is even if you have jewish-like features you may not have any jewish blood in you that didn't matter to them that's that's not science according to the germans right no i mean i it may but again this is he's not basing anything off of science it's all of his own ideas it's something that uh the the author i read calls border science and it was actually a term the germans came up with it was the concept that this isn't proven science yet but we're going to prove it we promise Mm. so essentially he has this whole army of ss and the ss were actually pretty well trained they were kind of the special operators i i don't know to what extent they would like stack up against marines which were kind of the operators of the day Mm -hmm. or airborne whatever it was but there were divisions of them that were special forces units right and so the these ss men kind of start to swell a bit they get to they get to be their own thing and himmler realizes i need a bond hideout Mm. like i need i need a bond villain place to be now once again himmler Himmler was absolutely fascinated with the occult absolutely fascinated with the occult so much so that he decides you know where i should put my my group is in a castle of ill heritage out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) Like a clue character. Right. Um, and, he, and then we'll have a murder mystery. And he goes to a place called Vivelsberg, 
Now, in where is that? It's in Germany. North, it's, south. I actually can't remember. Okay. But essentially, I looked this place up. I actually tried to call the curator several times. You did. I did, and I was going to get a recording of chatting with her because I know who she is. I found out who it was. Yeah. The problem was the time zone difference made it very difficult. I would oh, have had yeah. to get up at two in the morning and I didn't find out about the fact that I could actually call them until a couple days ago. So you're fine. Plus I don't speak German. So <laughs> she's like, Why they, are you they speak English. I know us. they speak English, but like, <laughs> I don't want to be that guy who calls them. Hi, I'm an American. Yeah. So like, anyway, if I called them and told them what I was doing, maybe they'd be cool. But either way, I, I found out about Vivelsburg. Now here's the problem. Vivelsburg has kind of a boring, boring, Boring history. <laughs> Which is probably why he picked it. I looked up the history, and it's essentially like it was built as a rampart. Then it kind of burned down. Then they built it again. Then some people took it over. Then they built it again. <laughs> like, I really like your accent while describing that. A German countryside. <laughs> <laughs> they burned the again. castle down and said they did. Are you happy now? Yeah, it's much better. Thank <laughs> but you. But anyway, so essentially it's got kind of a boring history, which was funny because the History Channel documentary I watched, history in quotations, um, was like, it had a history of witchcraft, torture, and murder. And I was like, Murder, Vivelsburg Castle, zero results. Witchcraft, <laughs> Vivelsburg Castle, zero results. Torture, <laughs> Vivelsburg Castle, die, it's a castle. Right. But like, um, essentially the only occult thing that that I could find verifiable evidence of was that when Himmler got there, he went and immediately desecrated the burial mound. Immediately mm. desecrated it. Because he wanted to find any artifacts of antiquity he could. He actually had a pretty extensive library he was creating okay. um, inside of Vivelsburg. He was also using Vivelsburg as kind of a holding point for all of the art and other stolen artifacts the Nazis stole in their runaround of Europe. I think there's a movie with Johnny Depp where they're looking for a book like to similar to this. Are you talking about Indiana Jones? Nope. I can't remember. That what is it's not called. Johnny Depp. <laughs> no, I, I can't remember what it's called. And I remember seeing it, it was fascinating, and they were tying it back to World War II. It's always World War II, and it's always some kooky Nazi with a missing eye. Uh-huh. Actually, that uh, that all comes from a real eye? Nazi. There was a real Nazi who was involved in real testing who was missing an eye. Really? Who everything has been based off of. But it's interesting to me that there's so like all these crazy movies that come out, and it's like, oh, that would never happen in a million years. There's is some truth to them. Just like this movie that I'm talking about. I cannot remember what it's called. So yeah, every time you see a Nazi with an eye patch, it's based on a real guy. <laughs> Looking it up because it's going to piss me off. <laughs> so Vivelsburg, anyway, becomes the headquarters of the SS. And it's this dark castle. Like, I looked it up, and it's, like, as creepy as it sounds. Like, Nazi think, Nazi castle in the middle of the woods. Like, mm -hmm. pretty freaky. And it's got this big rotunda. It's, like, it's, it's, a, it's a classic German castle. But the cool part about it, I shouldn't say cool, the interesting part about it is the plans that Himmler had. Yeah. So he wanted to build this into like this SS megatropolis. Like it was originally used and was used during the war as a headquarters and a training facility for the SS. But they have this image that they dug up in the SS or in the in the castle after the Allies captured it. Okay. Of what they planned for it, and it looks like something out of Wolfenstein, like the video game. It's this big mega complex. Like you, like it would have been hard to build in the era, and it's got like all of this SS paraphernalia all over it, and it's this really creepy. Like there, there's something eerie about looking at it, where you're like, if this had come to fruition, that is terrifying. Like, Absolutely. It, like not. It, it really probably wouldn't have massively impacted the course of the war. It was a stronghold, but like the it. concept of it is so spooky. So Himmler gets this huge castle, puts all his SS guys in it, and. There's video footage I watched of someone touring it, and it looks like King Arthur's court, and there's a reason for that. Himmler 100% believed in knighthood traditions, 
in some pagan beliefs, keep in mind this is an ultra conservative, relatively Christian movement, supposedly. Right. He had a there's there's speculation that he had a round table. And there are 12 pillars in the room he had the round table in, Knights okay. of the Round Table. Um, he would have grail ceremonies. Um, there's a room in the basement, and this is by far the creepiest thing I saw. So this, this isn't necessarily a cult so much as just weird, creepy Nazi shit. But there's a room in the basement where there are coffins, like, like tombs, in a circle around this big open—think of like a mall pool but empty okay. in the middle. Okay. And these tombs were supposed to be for Himmler and his 12 most um, subservient Nazi guard. So is it is he trying to, like, mock the Christ and his 12 apostles? I don't think so. What? I think he genuinely believed in himself as a leader at that level, on par. He was the King Arthur, and these 12 knights were his honor guard. And he would does be buried with them in death, that kind of concept. Does 12 have a significant number in paganism? 12 is a significant number in Nazism, but I, I couldn't find a real, like, a real... Okay common thread but essentially right. it's not even i don't think it's a pagan thing so much as it related back to king arthur he just like adored okay. king arthur gotcha and so i mean none Th of this... i mean that makes sense because then he'd be like oh merlin and the whole yeah that's why he'd get into the occult and then it's like well yeah i want well, to he be... would he would perform um pagan baptism he had a he had a priest who was there with him who would perform pagan baptisms and pagan rituals of passing interesting so essentially hitler's number two guy is outperforming Pagan rituals in a castle in the mountains. I know I want him for vice president. <laughs> like, what Wait, the did, I'm but sorry, did, but... <laughs> did Hitler know what was going on? Hitler, I think, or trusted was he just Himmler. Like, oh, he's doing his own thing. I this. think he just trusted Himmler to the point where he's like, it doesn't matter, because Himmler created the SS to build up Hitler's mixed-up ideas right. on Aryan pastimes. Now, this actually brings us nicely into the what I wanted to talk about, more specific to occultism. There's this thing, and I hate this word because it doesn't make any sense. I'm going to spell it first. A-H-N-E-N-E-R-B-E. There's like 12 different Hen pronunciations. Hen it sounds like anemone, but um, <laughs> listening to a British person pronounce it was like the greatest thing. The anemone <laughs> bee. Did you just say? Yes, the anemone bee. Did you just say the anemone bees? But, um, <laughs> the uh, anemone. So I, I, the, the closest thing I could get was a German pronouncing it, and they just like skip one of the ends, so they called it the anemone, which I was like, okay, fair enough. So Is the anemone. It, they're going to shorten it down and make it English and I, call it I the have. Anne Abbey? We'll, we'll just call it the NB. Um, okay. So the, the NB was essentially established in, uh, and it means, by the way, um, heritage. That's, okay. that's the act that's actually so called. So that's the word in German. It's, it's like the heritage. heritage society, essentially. Okay. And it's established. It's not a government entity. It's more like a social club. And it's all of the, and I put this all in quotations, heavily italicized, great thinkers of Germany. <laughs> The great lunkheads of Germany coming right. together to validate a dictator who failed out of art school. <laughs> so essentially, they're coming together to prove something that doesn't exist because Hitler is kooky as frick. And some of these guys are, like, actually scientists. Some of them are not. Some of them are just fringe loonies. But essentially, the reason this is important is because in 1935—okay, mm -hmm. so we're now in 1935. They've got their spooky castle. Hitler's in power. They— Con well, Himmler specifically contacts this guy named Kronhagen. Oh, I pronounced that so well. <laughs> I love me. Someone who's um, German is like, he said that totally wrong. <laughs> it is Kronhagen, you <laughs> but, um, so <laughs> I can't put that in there. That's a really bad word. Um, so uh, that. that would get us booted out of Germany. Uh, so he contacts this guy, Kronhagen, to um, lead an expedition to a place called Karelia, 
which is in Finland, or okay. near Finland, rather. Um, and Karelia is kind of infamous. It's this place where witches and sorcerers still exist in 1935. Mm. So it's kind of the Salem of Europe? Sort of. It, I don't think it was nearly as open as Salem was in some ways, where you had kind of... The, I should rephrase modern day Salem because there was no actual witchcraft in Salem in the 1600s. I, I can't even say that because it was these people, I genuinely believe they were sorcerers. So that's was, how Salem is today. I almost want, yeah, fair enough. I almost wonder if it's like a leper's colony in some ways where like they all kind of fled there to avoid persecution, okay. that kind gotcha. of concept, which is interesting because they ended up rounding up gypsies and killing them all. But you know, <laughs> sorcerers and I warlocks. Freaking, I freaking love gypsies. I only have seen they're two. So they're super funny, but either way, um, they're cool. So, um, <laughs> Basically, they're in Corellia. He wants he wants rather Gronhagen to take them to Corellia to document witches and sorcerers on tape and on like on audio. Okay. Now, riddle me this: the leader of the war wing of the Nazi Party is going to a far flung place to record pagan witch traditions. Yeah, that's weird. Now, the sad part is that if I read that in the headlines today about America, it would not make me bat an eye. Continuing on, <laughs> I'd, be like, oh. I'd be like, oh, that's that's new. Um, <laughs> that's the next thing, I guess. Um, this is what I've chosen to live in. Um, so this is where it becomes rather interesting. So they get to Corellia, and they record a witch named Myron Aku, and she actually gives them a ritual on tape, like a full ritual. Now, keep in mind, this is 1940s. Creepy, cranky footage. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't find it, but I tried, and I want to see it. I'll bet if you could dive into the deep, dark web, you probably could. I'm staying away from that. Yeah, me too. Uh, but they record this on tape, and this is important. They also record, um, well, before I get there, the ceremony that they recorded was actually supposed to summon the dead, not in a zombie way, but like summon spirits of the dead okay. so that she could have a seance with these spirits. Okay. And then she would talk to them um, like they were there. Now, I have my doubts about a lot of things, and I don't think that you can just summon whoever you want from the other side. Right. What do you need? But I do believe that sometimes it's very thin between us and ghosts. We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. I don't think she was on her rocker. I think she was kooky. Yeah. I don't think any of this was real. And I think that the reason that it's super interesting is because they also record a pagan throat chanting ceremony. Okay. That they, and keep in mind, these are military men. At right. least Himmler. The rest of them are scientists, explorers, like that. But they are doing this either for a militaristic purpose so that the Nazis can use it in warfare or they're doing it to prove something about Aryan culture. That's the whole purpose of the Anandarbi is that essentially they're supposed to go out and prove that kooky Hitler is right, that there were ancient blonde aliens that came to this planet and were a master race. Maybe that's why he was trying to get in touch with her so she could summon spirits that would maybe have witnessed something along See, those lines. I don't think so. I think he genuinely believed that you could bring dead soldiers back to life. Oh. I 100% I believe it. There's a concept of Valhalla and all this stuff, and we won't get into that, but basically, okay. I, I I haven't been able to corroborate this. This is 100% non-factual opinion on my part, but I think that based on what I've seen him looking into, based on his thought of Knights Templar, people that were supposedly invulnerable to death, all of the experiments we'll talk about later that were focused on keeping people from dying in warfare situations. I think Himmler was interested in trying to find a spell that would bring Nazis back from the dead and give him an undead army to fight the allies with. I, I basically, that's my tinfoil hat theory. <laughs> crinkle, crinkle, it's on my head. Hey, but to tie it back to... Christianity, though, I mean, it talks about it in the Bible that the yep. dead will rise. So, I mean, it would make sense that if 
And I think that's the case. Now, by the way, he did end up deposing the church. Um, he was an altar boy as a kid, actually wrote in his journal that he would never leave the church and he was God's man. Then he deposed the church and actually hunted down Catholics and had them murdered. But um, Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he's an interesting dude. He had a lot of pent-up aggression. I think Freud would have had a freaking field day with him. <laughs> they end up going back with all this research and they rename the uh, Anunnaki after this to the Ancestral Heritage Foundation and Teachings of Community. It actually, in English, translates more evenly to Teaching Community of the Ancestral Heritage. So they were going to now teach this nonsense. Interesting. And Even though they haven't really found anything. Sure, but they also had several other less interesting expeditions where okay. they went out and claimed to find existence of Aryan culture in far-flung places where it definitely wasn't. Okay. And most of this was, once again, to validate Hitler's views in a 1925 book that led to the Nationalist Party taking over half of Europe. So this is where things become rather interesting. Also in 1937, Jünberg, which is an ancient fortress that had been discovered a lot earlier, okay. um, is also kind of gone through. It's a castle. And they plunder the burial mound been taken it had already been kind of cleaned out i'm curious did they find anything did they save those bodies did they well their bodies their i mean they, they don't I mean, care if he was coming up with a dead un, an undead army wouldn't he want bodies to do so not if they weren't perfect germans i guess that's true so essentially they plunder the burial mound don't find anything that had been plundered in antiquity they're just kind of on this spree of destroying history in the process of right. finding history and then in this this is skipping forward by the way like <laughs> a solid almost 10 years oh, that's but, okay um in 1943, this this is important. Himmler's still around. Himmler's still in charge of the SS, right? Things are starting to get kookier and kookier and kookier as the war is sort of winding down. You got to remember, 1945 is near the end of the war. Right. The Allies are kind of starting to gain some ground. Um, remember I mentioned Mussolini earlier? Uh-huh. Mussolini was deposed by his people. Like, actively voted down by the fascist party he created at a vote of no confidence. There's a lot of background there. We don't have time to get into it. Right. But essentially, he gets deposed, and the people are pissed. They want his blood, and they eventually got it. But essentially, a bunch of partisans captured Moosey. And Moosey. Moosey and Adolf were kind of tight. They were buddies. And so Mussolini was like, hey, Hitler, please, come help me. And Hitler was like, I will help you, my friend. But <laughs> they, the two of them being so tight... Hitler now knows that he can't count on Mussolini to protect him, right? He can't count right. on them helping him out in any way, shape, or form. And without Mussolini there, he's got no power in Italy. Right. So he needs to reestablish Mussolini as a puppet dictator. And so he decides they need to find out where the partisans are keeping Mussolini. Now, German intelligence was quite good. What people often don't think about because they think of kind of the steampunk mechanics of the era, Germany was the most advanced warfighting country on the planet, Oh, at the geez. beginning of World War II. Right. They invented the Blitzkrieg. They invented tanks that were fast and efficient. They invented warfighting strategies people had never seen before. When they invented Poland, or invented, when they invaded Poland, they actually were fighting horsemen. Guys oh, on horses really? with guns in their tanks. I did not know that. Yeah, they were, they were fighting cavalry units. You got to remember, this was only a f like not only a few, but this was relatively close to World War One, yeah. where you had planes where a bomber was a guy in the back of a plane dropping a bomb out of the back yeah, of the plane. Yeah, that's true. So you got to realize, think about the difference between that and targeted bombs that weren't heat-seeking quite yet, but dropped out of a bomb bay that you could target with and have one person in the plane, and it could go really fast. Right. So the the German army, in and of themselves, are kind of bad. They're, they're like very advanced. It's kind of the, the best way I can describe it is it's like 
the equivalent of the Taliban versus America. Okay. We're a very advanced military country that has a lot of stuff to throw at them. And America, frankly, at that point, really hadn't done much since World War One. It's why we were caught so blind in Pearl Harbor. Right. By the way, when Pearl Harbor happened, Hitler was like, what the f- did you just do? No. Oh, <laughs> I bet. Because that, that was a huge turning We have managed point. to avoid them this long, and you blew up the island? What's that? Oh. You little man, you have done irreparable damage. <laughs> we were doing just fine. The morons on the island over there wouldn't even matter to us yet. What the That literally is probably the speech he gave. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's word for word. Right. I mean, I can totally see it. What the but anyway, um, he, um, so anyway, um, Hitler, the, the reason for that, by the way, was the fact that Hitler at one point was fighting a battle on like 12 fronts. He was like, okay, I'm running out of pure Germans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we can't keep doing this. The whole gene pool thing was a great idea till we started running out of them. But um, he basically, <laughs> just don't invade Russia in the winter anytime soon. Um, yeah. He... Or ever. It's a bad idea. The Russians literally live in the snow. They are born of the snow. They aren't born like regular people. According to my recent research on it, they literally pop fully formed from the snow. Yeah, they're basically white walkers. Them and Canadians. <laughs> they're both the same. But, um... Can- yeah, Canadians Canadians well. are just happy Russians. But, uh... I agree. They I live concur. at the same longitude. It's not my fault. <laughs> um, I just tell the jokes. But, um, basically... It's 1943, Mussolini's been deposed, Hitler decides that he needs to find out where Mussolini is, he needs to find out where the, you know, the partisans are keeping him, and they're moving him around because the Nazis had great intelligence. Right. They had planes that were flying over all the time, they were building accurate maps of pretty much everything. They could tell you troop transport movements, which is really oh, very advanced for its time. Absolutely. Nowadays you can use a satellite, but I mean, the, keep, keep in mind, this is the concept of having to have a gas-driven aircraft flying often enough to know where the enemy forces are without getting shot down. And this was at an era where we were really focused on shooting stuff down. Right. Because air warfare was a big deal, especially because that was how they were pinning the UK down. They were daily, they were yeah. bombing different parts of London Ugh, and Europe. I, and I read, um, what's her name? Julie Andrews has two different audio um, autobiographies. And she talks about World War II. And yeah. Have you read, um, plug, plug, plug. Have you read uh, The Book Thief by Marcus Zuzik? No, I haven't. That is an outstanding book. That is one of the most well-written abstract books I've ever written that talks about the bombings, but it's from the German perspective. Oh, okay. It's actually quite good. It's actually, so the book is written from the perspective of death, but it takes place in Germany. So very, very good book. Anyway, moving on. So Hitler doesn't know where Mussolini is, and he knows that Himmler, being in charge of the SS, should send somebody out to find Mussolini. He, He knows that his best bet is having the SS go look for him. Mind you, Italy's not a friendly nation currently. The Partisans control it. And they don't really like Hitler very much because they know that, okay, if Mussolini makes it into power, Hitler's in charge of us. That's that's how it works. Italy becomes a German state that quick. So they have to keep Mussolini away. So they've got him with this guard. They're moving him around. And this actually is oddly cinematic when I picture it in my brain. So it's nighttime. It's 1943. Or yeah, 1943 mm-hmm. at this place called, um, what was the exact name? The Hotel Campo Imperator which is up in the mountains. It's this huge hotel up in the mountains. And that's where they're keeping Mussolini, the, the partisans. All of a sudden, in the middle of the night, out of the darkness, swoop down a bunch of SS units on gliders. These SS Special Forces guys on gliders. Swoop in, 
kill two Italians. Ten of the Germans are wounded in the process, but they grab Mussolini. They're gone. Oh, jeez. Dude, that is some James Bond level stuff. Yeah. I don't like Nazis, but dang, that's a cool image. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, they swoop in. They get Mussolini. They've got him back. And the reason I bring this up is the way they found him. <laughs> so... Did I mention that Himmler was into astrology? Yeah. He was also into something called divining or dousing. Like uh, divinity or... Um, divining rods. Okay. So I looked up a couple different things. Divination. On this. Yeah, That's divination. Okay. Um, and there are so many different definitions of it that it was hard to find one. And a lot of them were on like sites where it was less than reputable. Um <laughs> Right. But essentially, what I've boiled it down to is that divining can be anything you want it to be. No. Um, <laughs> so divining is essentially the concept that you can use a rod or a pendulum. And by the way, the Nazis had a place called the Pendulum Institute. They were genuinely researching this stuff, guys. Seriously. The Pendulum Institute. You can't make this up. I'm signing so up. They I'm have going there. this place called the Pendulum Institute. And they've got this guy, Wilhelm Wolf. Mm-hmm. Well, Wilhelm Wolf, if you want to be accurate about it. Right who has been doing lay research for this and they grab him, bring him to Berlin. And they're like, we need to, we need you to find Mussolini. Okay. No, like we need you to find Mussolini. You, you want me to divine where a Italian guy is. Yeah. We want you to find him. He's in Italy. Okay. So essentially he said, fine, I'll do it. Um, and they also were so desperate to corroborate that this was a real thing that they brought in 40 other diviners to find Mussolini. One of the other ones was in a concentration camp. Seriously. <laughs> and they pulled him out. By the way, you couldn't get out of concentration camps. No. There was, there was not exactly a fill this form out to leave. Right. Regardless of if, like, obviously you couldn't leave. But, like, even if somebody in the Nazi party tried to get you out. It didn't work that way. Right. You were a member of a concentration camp. You were no longer a human being. You were a name and a number, and you were there to die. That was yeah. what you did. Even when when the, when Germany fell, the last order was called the final solution. That was kill everybody in the camps. They mm-hmm. killed almost everybody in those camps when the war ended. So, essentially, they're pulling people out of the camps, which means that at some level, Hitler believed this. And Himmler, even more, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this real Definitely. 100%. <laughs> I told you so. They're going to find it. Yeah. Well, according to a couple different resources, they found it. But it's also one of those very hazy things where essentially they pulled everybody out of the camps. I don't know how many of them came from the camps. I can't find an accurate count anywhere. But essentially a lot of them came out of the camps. And the mm-hmm. first thing they said was, in order for us to divine properly. I don't know why they're British. <laughs> We will need cigarettes, lots of alcohol, and food. <laughs> and um, one of the camp owners was quoted as saying, essentially, they were super expensive because they kept costing us all of these resources. Uh, Another one was like, yeah, but they, they kind of been in a concentration camp. Yeah. Bucko. Right. So essentially, they give them a bunch of booze. Didn't affect their ability to divine. Yeah, I rolled my eyes. Um, <laughs> but what they end up doing is they kind of proved that they were right. Um, right. Because they found him. Now... Literally, all of the evidence points to a certain captain of a patrol aircraft and a bunch of SS guys that found him. But Divining! Hey, but the, yeah, so, Divining found him. The, but the reason that it's even considered an option or even remembered by history is that several SS members that were there say, no, it was Divining. They found him, like, 100%. This is why divination in Harry Potter is also bogus. So I'm just Professor about. Trelawney's a freaking <laughs> fraud. Sorry. Hermione's right. She is. But, um... <laughs> it's Levi Otha. <laughs> I was looking for a good German pun. Couldn't find one. Okay. That's digging, right. digging deep. But either way. Um, <laughs> so a lot of the guys that were there, though, said, no, no, like 
that divining works. Like they found him. That was that was on divining. And then, then they tried to give divine the divination the credit. Essentially, yeah, they they tried to agree with it. Now, I actually believe that it wasn't for the sake of any deep coming of reality that they had. I completely believe that it was to placate Himmler and Hitler because both mm-hmm. of them were absolute believers in this. Not maybe not absolute believers on Hitler's side, but Himmler was. Himmler right. believed in this to a T. Right. The two that are credited most for it, though, and that claim to have found Mussolini, um, one of them says that they rigged up a pendulum and then were given a crude map and they found a dead zone on the map and that was where Mussolini was, was um, uh, Munk. What was his first name? I wrote it down. My goodness. I, be- I think that's how... Um, Kirk. Wick. Or, yeah, or Kurt. Kurt Munk. Okay. He I think that's in... how Wiccans divine when they're looking for people as well. Yeah, and they'll do like with a the divination rod, yeah, with mm-hmm. a pendulum. Uh, he was in Sachsenhausen. He was one of the people that was in a concentration camp and he claims that he was... Uh, he was one of the, he was the main one that found Mussolini. Mm. So anyway, they did find Mussolini. Now, Mussolini didn't have a wonderful time after that because even after he was reinstated, he was dragged out into the street, shot, beaten to death by, well, beaten to a pulp by partisans, shot, then hung upside down. So, I mean, not a wonderful way to end your life, but um, right. it, it didn't end up being much of anything in the in the long term. But it was the last great operation by the SS, really, before mm-hmm. it turned into a full-scale retreat. 1944 rolls around, and this is where stuff starts getting kind of freaky. This isn't even really divination, per se. It's not even really occultism. It's just odd, inhuman behavior Mm -hmm. commissioned at the hands of Himmler directly. In 1944, there's something called the Rascher Experiments at Dachau. Um, So in English, the Rascher Experiments in Dachau. (laughs) So um, Thank you. I now understand. He goes to Dachau, which is a concentration camp, um, and a doctor there. Uh, supposed doctor there right. started performing experiments on uh, live subjects. Uh, there was a conversation where they said, well, the test monkeys were great, but we need some humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they start doing just bizarre-ish. Oh, and I won't get too into it because this isn't about crazy. Nazi weird medical stuff because we all know that crap happened. But essentially, I did have three I thought were kind of interesting. Um, one, they were put in a barometric chamber. So, listeners, a barometric chamber is a pressure chamber. The concept is that you can help people who have the bends from coming up from scuba diving too quickly. Hyperbaric chambers, what yeah. they call them now. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, they're they're in this chamber, and the concept was they wanted to test what would happen if you free fall from an airplane. Mm. Fun fact: you die. Yeah. Um, but essentially, and it's not just because you crash on the ground. You go curse splat eventually, but the the beginning of it is much worse. But yeah. essentially, they just they pressure cooked a bunch of people in 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 a chamber. By the way, how would you like to be the guy who had to clean that up? I'm just uh, saying. Thanks somebody, for the visual. Jeez. Somebody had to clean it up, man. That's oh so gosh. messed up. But essentially, so they do that. This is another weird one. Um, they were testing for the tendencies of apples to be used as blood coagulants. Now, there are real blood coagulants. Um, you can get shot, and they can dump essentially a powder on it. It burns like but it'll coagulate. Right. Fun fact for those of you who are survivalists, chili powder works the same way. Oh. Yeah. Um, shove a tampon in the wound first, and then put chili powder on it. Okay. It'll coagulate. Hurts a lot. Only oh, had to I do bet. it once, but um, but you'd be saved as long as you pop the bullet out first time. and you go to a doctor. But either yeah. way, um, essentially they would give them this coagulant. The idea was you would take a pill before a battle, and your blood would be able to coagulate when it reacted with oxygen. The problem is that you're going to have coagulated blood inside of you, so you're going to have a heart attack and die. So I still think it would have been great if they gave a bunch of soldiers <laughs> that. But um, they would give them a pill, then they'd shoot them in the neck or chest and see if they survived. Yeah, yeah, science. Oh, my gosh. Uh, This is my favorite one because 
it's kind of like they were getting like so I feel like okay, here's my my little story I've created for this. A rogue German scientist. <laughs> okay. Who doesn't so much care for the bullshit is like, how can I give the Jews something to look forward to in all of this nonsense? The test given him was to see how they could essentially reheat a frozen German. Um, oh, no. So obviously, well, thank gravy. No, that was they already <laughs> did that. Um, oh yeah. So essentially, they wanted to see what would happen if you left a German in the North Sea for a long time. So like, if your plane got shot down and you're floating out in the North Sea, what survival conditions would be like? So naturally, they just chucked a Jew naked out in the cold of dead of winter. Of course, for fourteen hours. I mean, they've got plenty of them for just to right do because as they're not testing humans they according to this Nazi ideology. Ugh. So essentially, they did that, or they put them in an ice bucket for three hours to see if they could reheat them. This is the part where I think there was a rogue scientist because obviously, putting them in hot water, like very hot water, is actually terrible for your nervous system, but it will reheat you. If you're ever going to reheat someone who has hypothermia, do it slowly and do it indirectly. But essentially, they just chuck them in hot water mm-hmm. and it reheats them and they're not fine, but they're fine. But there yeah, was but have the you concept. Ever, have you ever been freezing cold and then you put your hands in, in warm a hot water? Tub? Yeah, or like rolled in snow they and then got in a hot tub. Oh my gosh, it burns so bad. So essentially they were doing that. Now granted, it's not nearly as bad as blowing you up in a barometric chamber or shooting you in yeah, the neck. Yeah, but it's but still very painful. Yeah. Your entire body. Yeah. I did that with my fingers and they swelled. I used and they to, were, we used to go oh, roll in the so snow and then jump in the hot tub. That hurt. Yeah, but but it, um, but it wasn't like you were frozen for hours. For three hours, yeah. yeah. So essentially, all of this is done under the foresight of Heinrich Himmler. Now, I told you at the beginning of this episode that Hitler played a much smaller role in all the weirdness than we realize. Himmler was the architect, in my opinion, and in a lot of scientific opinion, of the Holocaust. Yeah. Himmler provided the baseboard for anti-Semitism to flourish. Himmler provided the concept of concentration camps. Himmler was literally out asking his guys on the ground to commit mass genocide. And then upon, and I quote, finding that that much killing caused a negative impact on their psyches, decided to make it more efficient. Mm -hmm. Um, Himmler does all this weird stuff and he does all of it while practicing astrology and while practicing divining and while basically backing up all of these occult beliefs. So I know we all hoped at some level that we would be talking about Nazis casting spells or trying to. But the reality of it was all of this occultism really stems from one man's insecurity in his own understanding of science and history. And then a million people chasing that belief system and deciding to make fiction factual. There's an interesting quote from our current president's professional spin doctor, Kellyanne Conway. She says, the media has given their facts... And Donald Trump has given alternative facts. An alternative fact is that there was an ancient race of Aryan people Mm. that lived all over the planet. Those Aryan people were a prime species, and from them descended the only good people. An alternative fact is that Mexico is going to build a wall. We have to be very, very careful not to chase the ideals of somebody we believe in. Even if you believe in that person wholeheartedly as a good leader— You need to ask questions. You need to look at it objectively. Had people looked objectively at what Hitler was preaching, they would have seen the holes in the problem. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's a very wishful way of looking at it. Hitler was a powerful man. He had powerful allies. He got to the top of the country and he ran the country. There were still plenty of excellent German people that fought against him. 
There are people inside of the SS. One tried to blow him up, literally put a bomb under his chair. He barely escaped it. It's an interesting story, a little bit of history you might want to look up. Mm -hmm. There were people that tried to assassinate Hitler. There were people that tried to get him out of power before he got power. Even the Chancellor of Germany didn't intentionally give him power. He gave him power to avoid losing his own. So I'm going to be very blunt here. If you voted for Donald Trump, that's fine. 110%. You're an American. You have every right to vote for whoever you feel is going to lead the country in the right way. Donald Trump has done some good things for the economy. Donald Trump has done some bad things for the rest of us. Donald Trump has his wins and his losses. But I beg of you, do not stick your head in the sand and do not become a Himmler. Right. If you are willing to keep your eyes open and look for the good that he gives but also separated from the nonsense he speaks, just like any other politician. You'll find yourself a much happier person, and you'll find this country to be a lot more intelligent. Speaking of intelligence, shortly after the war ended, the SS, of course, is rapidly destroying everything they can, right? Yeah. There's a little talked about, but very, very influential um, operation that goes on Um I don't know if the CIA was directly involved. I don't know to what extent they were directly involved, but I know that it was a special operation. It was called Operation Alsos. It got certain people out of Germany mm -hmm. with negative connotations to their name, having worked with or for the Nazi party, and there is a distinction, and brought them to America to help develop the atomic bomb. And... Part of that was that they wanted to capture certain information about certain occult beliefs that one Heinrich Himmler had to test in America. Mm. Operation Alsos is a noted and documented operation by the U.S. government. The documented portions of it tend to focus more on the space race and more on nuclear warfare. But it also definitely was about trying to find out what the Nazis were doing mm -hmm. and if we needed to replicate it. And that brings us to the good old shores of the USA, Werner von Braun, the nuclear age, and some Nazi scientists. Interesting. And that's where we're going to cut it off today, listeners. That works. Awesome. Now, just real quick, I do want to go back to what you were saying to always ask questions. And I know we've hit on a lot on political, but I completely agree with that as well when it comes to personal beliefs and religion. Absolutely. 100%. I feel like you should always be asking questions in everything that you do. There's nothing wrong with asking questions because questions lead to greater faith or greater understanding. Absolutely. So if you're in a religious group <coughs> or cult, then uh, make sure you're asking the right questions. If anybody or brings up any genocide, questions. that's not a good place to be. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I just feel like I need to throw that in there as well. I completely agree. Kyle's totally right. Ask questions, guys. <laughs> Remember, Big Brother's definitely watching you, so you need to ask lots of questions. <laughs> Absolutely. But that being said, Kyle, would you like to lead us out on the sign-off? Remember to ask questions. And don't validate madmen. To keep up to date on what's happening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram at guysparanormal. Also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, email us at pnormalguys at gmail.com. 